Welcome back to the Eye on the Tigers podcast. I'm Dave Matter, Mizzou beat writer for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch and stltoday.com. We've been on hiatus for a little bit, but we're back. Ben Fredrickson, sports columnist for the Post-Dispatch, stltoday.com is with me, or at least he's with me on the Zoom machine, and we've got some basketball to talk about. Uh, the border war has been played. It is complete. Missouri's got a bowl game coming up, but we, we've got to start with really some some somber news, some really tragic news in college sports and college football. Um, you kind of could see this coming uh, Sunday. The bad news was coming out of Mississippi, and then uh, word came out. We're recording this Tuesday morning, and about an hour after Mississippi State made it official that that Mike Leach, uh, football coach, passed away late Monday night, complications of a heart condition. Uh, so the lots of tributes are out there already on Twitter, online. Uh, I traded messages with with Missouri coach, former Missouri coach Gary Pinkle a while ago. And um, man, Ben, just kind of what were some initial thoughts on the Pirate, Coach Leach, 61 years old, and and he, he, we, we've lost him. Yeah, it's tragic. Um on all kinds of levels. Um, obviously, a lot of people loved Mike Leach um, as, a, as a coach, as a, a person they interacted with doing our job. There are a lot of coaches out there who really don't enjoy talking to anybody who covers college football or their program yeah. or their sport. And that's okay. You know, that's their right. They can have those feelings, but it does, I'll be honest, make you feel a different way toward the coaches who understand the job, who even sometimes, Dave, seem to enjoy the interaction. And, right. and I think Coach Leach, well, I don't think, I know that he enjoyed the interaction. He liked talking to people. He liked explaining his thoughts on things. And, you know, he kind of came into this, um, I guess, this, this, I don't want to say an act, but it became very popular, you know, as his as his name became known to to be the you know to ask him the goofy questions hey what's your marriage advice hey what's your your halloween candy ranking and 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 he always played ball with that he was fun but i hope that doesn't you know i hope that for for some doesn't put him in a box of what he was he was an innovator he was a, a coach who spawned an incredible amount of coaches his coaching tree yeah. is big and will continue to grow and I just genuinely thought he was a fascinating person. So many people in college sports on that side of things are so buttoned up and so, for lack of a better word, boring. And we we criticize these guys for being, you know, only talking in coach speak or being so vanilla. And then there's a guy who comes along like Mike Leach, who is the opposite Whatever the opposite of vanilla is, he's that. He's wide open. He'll go anywhere. He's not afraid to talk and, and give his opinion about thorny topics. And and it made him, it gave him challenges at times because he wasn't right. willing to go with the flow, but a pioneer, but also, I mean, legitimately a pirate. He was kind of going to, to do his own thing. I, and you know how he affected the Missouri program. You know his relationship with Coach Pinkle. Dave, um, I go back to when I was in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I, we did a radio show down there called the uh, the Sports Page. And the guy I did that show with, Vince Ferrara, was one of the hardest working guys that I've ever come across. And he made it a point, Dave, to preview every team's schedule in college football. And and, and he was he was adamant that he, not only was he going to break down that team's schedule, he was going to get somebody on the phone for an interview 
who knew that team. And it was almost always the team's broadcaster or a writer covering the team. But every single year when it came time to talk about, at the time it was Washington State, we're in Knoxville, Tennessee. He would get, he would call the Washington State SID and they'd say, yeah, no problem. We'll have Coach Leach give you a call. And and Mike Leach would call and he would probably be walking or driving his car or God knows what. He was always doing something else, but he was intent to talk about his football team and then whatever else was on his mind, whether it was Native American history or whatever book he was reading or writing. Um, he was a fascinating guy. And, and that struck me. I mean, as just a, a really interesting character. We've lost a, a great mind and also a great personality in the sport. Yeah, I, I I didn't really come across Leach too often. Obviously, covered games that he coached. Uh, he was I had to go up and look this up, and I'm posting a story later today on stltd.com. Just kind of localizing it a little bit, but he was two and three against Missouri. He won his first game back in 2002. It was going to shoot out Brad Smith's first year at Missouri, and um, it was down in Lubbock. I, I remember that game distinctly. I, Pinkle was he was so pissed after they lost because they didn't play very good defense. But then Missouri won three in a row against Leach's teams, had some had some kind of shootouts. You know, that was Chase Daniel, Graham Harrell, Michael Crabtree. And then uh, and Brad Smith before that, 03 had the one of the most prolific games in Mizzou history against Leach's defense. Um, but then the last matchup was just a couple of years ago, the season finale in 2020, uh, down in Starkville. It was the awful COVID year, but um Missouri Eli Drinkwitz went up against uh, against Leach and lost and ended up being the finale because Missouri couldn't play in its bowl game. But um, not a lot of shared history there. But when he was not coaching for those, I think two or three years after uh, Texas Tech, he did a serious radio show and he had he had got me on one time and I it was probably his host got me on because Mike Leach probably didn't know who the hell I was. But um, I remember, though, I was on a flight coming back from somewhere and I had to make sure I got off the plane to do the interview because I did not want to miss this one. And you and I do a lot of radio. And, you know, if you miss the call, sometimes it's not the end of the world. But I was not going to miss this one. I remember finding a quiet spot in Lambert Airport and just sitting down. I'm like, I'm going to give him my undivided attention and enjoy you know, this, and I, I don't think we talked football. I can't remember it all very well, but um, there wasn't a whole lot of X's and O's discussion to, to put it uh, lightly. So that was, uh, that was the one time I really got to talk to him one-on-one and, and obviously been around him at, you know, big 12 and SEC media days and all that, where he's usually, you know, the most pleasurable guy to talk to, because again, he didn't, didn't care to talk football a whole lot, but he obviously knew the game and knew it as well as anybody. I was just looking at his, his accolades and achievements and he, what's most impressive about Mike Leach's legacy is he didn't do it at Alabama, Michigan, and USC. He did it in Lubbock, Texas, Pullman, Washington, and Starkville, Mississippi. And of his 21 seasons, including this year, he won at least eight games 13 times, went to 19 bowl games, and did it at places where you're not supposed to have that kind of consistent success. So, uh, really, truly one of the great innovators. That word's getting tossed around a lot, but it's true. One of the great characters in our game. And man, he's he's really going to be missed. I, I hope that I hope that one of his legacies is that coaches embrace being themselves and and sharing their personalities and not being so buttoned up all the time. And um, you know, we cover a guy who's like that in, in Eli Drinkwitz. And I I just I hope there's others. I hope they're more willing to share and be themselves and swing their sword like like Mike Leach did. 
Amen, man. And that's part of the reason I've made a point to defend Eli Drinkwitz at times. I mean, you can talk whatever you want about the record. That's totally fair game. And he would say right. the same thing. But, if, you know, people who want to come out and hammer Eli Drinkwitz for having fun with the student section at a border war game, holding up a five, five level one violation sign. No, I'll defend him on that because we cannot at one day say, God, these guys are so boring. All they do is 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 repeat the same platitudes. And then when they show some personality, go, oh, my God, how could they possibly do that? And they right. should wait to do that until until they're winning. Nah, man, Eli, if you want to if you want to poke the bear that is that is the Kansas basketball team, go for it and understand there will be people who get all honked off and mad. And he does. And and show show that personality. Under he understands it. It leads to, you know, bigger expectations. He knows what he's doing. And and I think Mike Leach is a a great example of of really being yourself, and not being for everybody. I mean, he knew right. that there were he wasn't going to go to certain schools because they would not have put up with some of the things that that he was into his, his polarizing opinions. Um, some places wouldn't like a coach folding up all of the chairs on the sideline of the game because he said his players didn't deserve to sit down and some players didn't like him. I mean, he had more than a few transfers once that portal became an option, but the players who stuck it out for him, who played for him, they love him. All of a lot of the former players he's had have become coaches. I mean, his, like I said, look at his coaching tree and tell me that he's not going to have a, a very important chapter in the history of impactful college football coaches, but we can't complain that a sport is not, is not having uh is lacking individuals and, and then shame guys when they show, when they show a little flair. So um, I'm with you, man. I, I think more coaches can see him and say, Hey, you can have success and also be yourself. You don't have to be somebody you're not. And that's, that's what I really appreciate about coach Leach is he was never pretending. Um, he wasn't pretending to be somebody he wasn't. And then that kind of became his brand. And uh, I think it was really who he was. I, I think he was the kind of guy that would answer any phone call, no matter where it was from, and talk to whoever called him. And also, you know, uh, brought on the field this this creativity and this this imagination that you know, Lord knows, it was begged, borrowed, and stealed, still stolen from, and will continue to be. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it, touching on that, one more thing, thought like. A lot of the national folks and pundits and writers who are, are praising his legacy and deservedly so today are the same ones that were on his case two years ago when Mike Leach didn't exactly fall in the company line when it came to COVID. I mean, he right. was skeptical. He was outspoken. Um, sometimes he was outspoken by not being outspoken and just sort of keeping quiet on the topic and not talking about vaccines as much as others were. And man, he, that was polarizing. He took a lot of heat for that. But like you said, agree with him or not, he was being true to himself. The skeptical guy that he was, this curious guy who had so many, you know, I wouldn't say passions, but ideas and uh, just curiosity about things outside of the sport. And I think that's what made him truly unique and truly original and, uh, and, and will be missed because we don't have, we don't have enough of him. Well, remember too, I mean, we talk this days, the, the word gets um, overused of, of someone getting canceled. I mean, we, right. this day, if someone gets fired for a legitimate reason, there's a counter claim that they've been canceled, but Leach kind of was one of the, early examples of someone kind of going through that with what happened yeah. at Texas Tech and allegations of how he treated players, um, some of which were proved to be false. 
And and I think in a lot of ways that probably shaped him of saying, hey, if 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 100 people are are if 99 people are going in this boat this direction, maybe one should be going in in the boat the opposite way. And, right. and I don't know that you don't have to agree with everything every stance he ever took, but he was very much going to be a contrarian in pretty much any way, shape, or form. And I think a lot of it was probably shaped by that. Um, a lot of that's covered in his book, Swing Your Sword, um, which kind of became his mantra. And yeah. I think it's a it's a pretty cool mantra if you even if you don't uh, understand where the <laughs> where the phrase came from. But you're gonna see continue to see the impact that he made across the sport and uh certainly thinking today of the folks who knew him well and played for him and learned underneath him and i know that his his brand will will continue to live on and his message will hopefully continue to inspire everybody to just be themselves it's uh it's okay to have difference of opinions it's okay to have controversy it's okay to have um colorful people in these sports it makes it more fun yeah absolutely that's a great way of putting it um there's there's no good way to make a transition into Mizzou basketball. There's just we there's nothing. We, we're not Kansas, Kansas swung its sword. I think we can. Yeah, I think so. That. Yeah. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about the border war. It wasn't much of a war. It was more of an invasion, <laughs> and uh, it did not go well for Dennis Gates and his team. Which I think, if you separated yourself from the nine and zero start and, and a lot of the excitement, um, was maybe easier to see than than. Some folks would have admitted. I, I I thought Kansas would win. I wouldn't have been shocked by a big win. I didn't expect 28 points. I didn't expect it to be over by the second media timeout, which it pretty much was. To give Kansas and Bill Self credit, they came out and played their best game of the year. Um, they were just super sharp, made 11 shots in a row. Um, they just took advantage of every opportunity Missouri gave them. Missouri gave them plenty. So there's not a whole lot to really dissect there. I, I think Missouri will play better the rest of the year. Um, Kansas will probably not. I don't know if they'll play that well, but it was, you know, this stupid cliche of a perfect storm and it it pretty much arrived. Uh, so I don't I don't know if there's a whole lot to take away from that other than um, Missouri's not as good as that 9-0 record was. And also Dennis Gates made that pretty clear. If you were paying attention through the first month of the season, he just kept talking about small sample size. Talk to me in April about leading the country in steals, leading the country in scoring. He understood what the record was, what the schedule was, and he also now understands that it's going to be tougher from, from here on out. I don't know if it'll be tougher than it was <laughs> against the Jayhawks, but that, that caliber of competition is what they're going to face, um, you know, here on out. What what do you think of j- just watching how the team played and um, just how they handled that that stage? Well, I think I, I probably to some people sounded um, maybe – not as excited as some going into the game because I was kind of trying to gently without sounding like a jerk point out that as you have Missouri had played one of the softest schedules in the country yeah. and, 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 and any, anything read into too far beyond that was a risk. I do give them a lot of credit for two things. One, not a lot of teams in this country could win nine games without a loss period to anybody. So I think you give them credit for that. And also, I think it's really good that this team played well enough to build up a real excitement for this game. I mean, you saw you were there. Benjamin Hockman, our colleague, was there. I was not. But you saw the energy, the atmosphere, the the that's how it should be. And Missouri went into this game thinking, hey, 
probably an underdog, probably going to lose, but this is why you play the game. And how many times, Dave, is that that's really what this rivalry will always be in basketball, at least as long as Bill Self is on the sideline in at KU. You know, traditionally, Mizzou is going to be the underdog, and traditionally, Kansas is going to be favored to win. And what you hope for is that Missouri goes out there and, and that's why you play the game and gets a win. I mean, most of Missouri's big wins in this in this rivalry have come as the underdog. So I think I think that's important to remember. Um, I'm not stunned by the outcome. I I what I saw on the court was I, I think Missouri looked a little um I don't know if it was nervous or overhyped or, or or what the right word is. The when the first play was an oop that didn't connect, I thought, oh, I don't know if I, I don't love I don't love that. I appreciate the moxie, but uh, that maybe that was a sign of some nerves. I think the defense that Missouri plays is very aggressive and and, and goes for those steals. They're going to have to figure out how to adjust that against teams that know that and can respond and are savvy enough and smart enough to use that against them. You know, we saw a lot of backdoors. We saw a lot of pump fakes and then wide open layups and buckets. So I, I think a lot has been said positively and, and and rightfully so about this offense and how it can flow and the tempo. And it's certainly more aesthetically appealing than last season for sure. But the defense is going to need to be something that finds, uh, finds a little bit better footing against good teams. It's going to be yeah. hard to win against good teams if you're not playing a little more little more legitimate defense way too many shots at the basket way too many dunks way too many layups um and that was a good like as you said a good Kansas team a team that loves that environment has played in those environments it wasn't new to them it was new to a lot of these Mizzou guys at the worst in this game there looked like some guys who didn't belong at that level now it doesn't mean they don't and it doesn't mean that they won't learn from this and be better for it against Illinois and Kentucky and and Auburn and, and you know and 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 Arkansas. So I'm not overreacting, but I was also pretty. I had pretty tame expectations going in. I, I think they'll learn from it and be better for it. Um, I also think that we're going to have a, a much kind of more realistic view of this team come the first week of January because they're in a gauntlet now. Yeah, and and I think that they can jump up and surprise somebody. But this idea that they're going to be a team that goes out there and goes toe to toe with a national championship contender, they're not there yet. I think they the goal should be for them to be there in year two, year three, not now. Right. Absolutely. I'll be interested just how they come out. You know, they play Saturday in Miami against UCF. Um, and then the one two punch to start SEC play is uh, well, you got Illinois first, obviously. And then the one two punch after that is Kentucky, Arkansas. So then they're up against it. I mean, four arguably they're four toughest games of the season are all within what like an 18 day span so um this record could not will chances are it's not going to look nearly as good here soon um but i think it's more it's gonna be just as interesting to see how they handle you know the big stage how they handle some of these games the pressure uh i'm interested to see what you know what's the crowd going to look like when they come back home for the first time uh against kentucky on the 28th you know what what's that split going to look like uh, at Enterprise Center when they play Illinois. Uh, I think the fans should still be up for it. I really hope that this wasn't just a one-time thing with the students and these fans showing up and going crazy just because of Kansas. Uh, and I don't think it will be. Um, but that that just to say something for the environment, it was something that I've rarely ever seen at Mizzou. It was incredible. Um, the, and to also think that those students who were there, uh, who were all bought in and were there early, um, they were what? 12 years old at the oldest of them were that were 12, 11, 10 last time Missouri played Kansas. So 
uh, at home at least. So it, it's not like this is something they've been used to every year. Also should point out, this is the first time Mizzou has hosted Kansas when alcohol was, was uh, sold uh, in the arena. Hey, uh, hey, not that those students would have been involved in any of that alcohol consumption. Not at all. Not, now. not at all. Right. Uh, I mean, I, but, but what as great as that crowd was, I knew that Kansas was going to handle pretty well when an hour before tip-off, they, they they put Mr. Brightside on, and anybody listening to this who's been a Mizzou football or basketball game knows what happens when they go into the chorus and the students were chanting what they chant at the Kansas players, and the Kansas players were stretching at the time, and most of them were laughing, like they were they were enjoying it. They were not upset, they were not offended. They thought, okay, this is awesome. Now we get to feel this side of the rivalry. And in an hour, we get to play and, and shut these guys up. So I, I thought that was uh, – the atmosphere was great, and Kansas players responded exactly the way you would want them to if you're a Kansas coach or fan. And uh, credit to them for being able to absorb all of that hate that was getting thrown at them. So it, that was that part was a win for Missouri. Lost the game, obviously, but um, the way this, the fans and the students showed up was was tremendous. Yeah, one thing that, and this is way too early, but just something to to note, the the one kind of reservation I had about the Gates hire when it happened, and it's hard, you know, coming from Cleveland State, you don't play a bunch of ranked teams, you don't play a yeah. bunch, of, and if you're good enough to to play those teams, um, they won't play you, they won't schedule you. That's the way that works. But if you just look at like the Ken Palm rankings, he's his track record at Cleveland State was they did a really good job of beating the teams they were supposed to beat. Yeah. And they didn't do a very good job of ever jumping up and beating a team that was above them. Um, right. Again, you're not maybe you don't get a ton of chances to do that at uh, at Cleveland State. But the record at Cleveland State that he built that was impressive was oftentimes taking care of business against teams you should take care of business of and 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 getting moments to jump up above that and not capitalizing. You can right. get a really good record and have a really good career at, at Cleveland State doing that. In the SEC, if you're going to get to where you want to go, you're going to have to jump up and slap somebody once in a while. Yeah. And, and he's going to get way more chances now. And, and this team will be expected to do that eventually. But just something to keep in mind, because that's so far, Missouri's done a great job of beating the teams they're supposed to beat, of beating the teams they scheduled to beat. Can they can they beat the teams that people don't expect them to beat? Can they can they beat the teams as an underdog? I think that's something we will we will have to wait to continue to see for Coach Gates and his Tigers. They'll be better off for this experience. They should they should I mean they should be licking their chops for the Bragging Rights game because you don't know what Illinois is going to look like. I mean Illinois can be the team that goes and beats Texas, then they can be the team that gets skunked by Purdue. Um, by by Purdue at home. I mean, you just don't. Uh, Penn State, no Penn State. I'm sorry, like, Penn State. Yeah, Penn, no Purdue would be acceptable. I apologize. Yeah. I got my P's confused. Penn State at home. Um, you know, noted basketball power in the Big Ten. Penn State. Um, so Illinois is a coin flip. They're a young team. They got they're figuring out which way is up. Tons of talent, but probably a team that's going to be better at the end of the season than the beginning. Maybe Mizzou will be able to say the same. But that's going to be a game where. I, I guess I'll say this. I think Kansas is better than Illinois right now. Um, yeah, so yeah. Missouri's got a shot to maybe learn from from that environment and that experience. And I, I think they're a resilient team. I don't think they're going to roll over here because they got their first loss in a dramatic fashion against a team right. that very well could compete for the national championship again. Um, what about this, Dave? And, and you've written about this, and it just feels like this cloud is getting bigger and bigger from where I see it. 
get, get, what can you tell us about this Mosley situation? You know, Jimmy Dykes on the broadcast talking about how he doesn't practice, um, which adds, adds a whole nother element to, to everything in, in the conversation. It sure sounds like listening to Gates, this is not some sort of punishment for the player that there's all kinds of things going on. But I'll also, I don't want to be critical, but I'll be mildly, mildly, mildly confrontational, I suppose. I don't think Gates is handling this maybe the way that it should be handled. It's not answering, it's not answering questions. And I feel like it's leading to maybe some opinions being drawn that are either anti-Gates or anti-Isaiah Mosley that maybe aren't fair. There's got to be a better way for both the player and the coach to handle what the heck's going on right now. Yeah, I agree. Now, he, Isaiah Mosley, the, the transfer from Missouri State, 20-point a game score at Missouri State, led the Missouri Valley in scoring the last two years, um, joins the team in June. Uh, he hasn't started a game, which is – I don't get caught up in that because he was playing starters minutes. But he hasn't played in three games now, and they're not three games in a row either. He didn't play against Penn. Uh, week two or game two, he didn't play the game at Wichita State. Then he played six minutes against SEMO last week and then did not leave the bench against Kansas. And each time that I've covered a game and he hasn't played or he's only played a few minutes, I've asked Dennis the question. I've, I've phrased it differently every time. Right. Um, and then after the Kansas game, I said, at this point, do you expect, when do you expect him back? Do you expect him back? He said, yeah, he's going to play a big role for this team. Can't wait for it to happen. Um, basically, he – he has made it clear that he's dealing with not clear because there's nothing clear about this. He's dealing with a, a, a personal issue. Um, he said that he's still going through the transition uh, and they, they expect him back and they can't wait to have him back. He, he said after Wichita state, it's not a, a disciplinary issue. Um, it's not an injury. And I think the fact that these aren't consecutive games tells you it's not a suspension. I mean, that doesn't make mm -hmm. any sense. And I think if it were, they would just come out and say, this is a suspension. So I, I do agree with you that I think this is maybe a blind spot for Dennis in some ways, because there is a little bit more media scrutiny now than he's ever had as a head coach, certainly. Uh, and, you know, at Florida State, there was coverage and you played a big time program, but, you know, you're not that main guy. So you're not dealing with these kind of questions. Um, remind everyone that Isaiah Mosley is from Columbia. Uh, he has family here. I've heard things secondhand, thirdhand that, you know, in, in, in our jobs, I'm not really comfortable reporting yet because it's you need some substance there. And I think a situation like this, you really need something more on the record. Um, and just, hey, sources say this right. is going on. I don't get the impression this is a discipline thing. But like Jimmy Dyke said on the broadcast, uh, he wasn't at the practice before the game. Um, media is not, we're not allowed to watch practices, so we can't keep score of when he's there or when he's not there. But if he's tending to something that is keeping him away from practice, uh, is it fair to play him in the games over guys who are at every practice? I think that's, I think that's reasonable to wonder just based on what we do know about the situation. And like you said, I, I think the downside of the way it's being handled is fans and some media too are jumping to conclusions here that I don't think are the right conclusions. I mean, I'm getting emails from readers saying, is it, is it this kind of disciplinary issue? Is, he, is it academics? Is it this? And when there's a void of information, um, people tend to speculate. And oftentimes the speculation is accurate and it's, probably unfair to to Isaiah, unfair to the team. So we'll see if things change. Now, if they take him to Miami this weekend, 
to play against UCF and he doesn't play like what, what's the point of that? So I don't, don't really understand. And to Isaiah's credit, you watch his body language. He looks fine. Social media. He was, he did express some uh, that he was upset. He didn't get the play against his high school teammate and close friend, Dewan Harris, the point guard from Kansas. Um, but we'll, we'll see. I mean, I just don't really know where this is headed. Yeah. My, my unsolicited unwanted suggestion would be for coach Gates and Isaiah Mosley to talk and then to get together and say, Hey, here's how we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about it one time publicly, as much as we're willing to say, we're going to sit down together and yeah. clear this up as much as we feel like we can, because right now it's, I hate to compare it to another situation of, is he going to play? Is he not going to play what's going on? But we saw how that can affect a team and Michael Porter jr. Not too long. Right. Ago where it was right. a constant discussion. And I'm not comparing Isaiah's impact potentially to Michael's, but this guy was a impact transfer, Dave. This guy was getting yeah. looked at by the Kansases, by the Dukes. Whether he could have gone there, who knows? But he came and picked Mizzou, and he was very much part of the reason this team was was supposed to excite fans. They're now right. getting to the thick of the schedule where you could really use his scoring, whether he's coming off the bench or starting whatever his role is. So – I just feel like someone needs to, someone at Mizzou needs to go to Coach Gates and go, hey, Dennis, this would work at Cleveland State, but this this handling of this isn't, it's not going to, it's not going to age well here. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, let's have a, let's have an answer. Um, we'll see if that, if that happens. I've, I've tried the to. Answers that have changed every, every time you ask him a question and, and I give you full credit, you're the one asking these questions. Yeah. His answers like are making things more complicated. They're making right. things more confusing, not providing any clarity. Right. And I've I've tried to shoot down some of the theories that fans or other media have um, you know, expressed on what this is. And I do think if what I've heard is accurate, I, I think people would be more sympathetic to the situation instead right. of lobbing all these wild accusations. And I also understand to want to respect the player's privacy and the privacy of the situation, but at some point, uh, just and, and I don't think we need specifics, but we just need, hey, this is the type of situation he's dealing right. with, and um, and I think I think this I think people would be a lot more understanding. Um, so we'll see. I, I I think this is part of a first year head coach, and maybe um, PR people around him maybe just don't know him very well yet, or uh, I, I don't know if he understands. You know, there's a lot of media coverage at Mizzou, and um, you know we'll we'll see how it unfolds. Also, and I hate to be this guy, but uh, if you're good enough and you miss a couple of practices, you can still play. In yeah, my yeah, because uh, that's the way the world works. We're talking about athletes having big dollar NIL deals. Um, this isn't uh, <laughs> this right. isn't this isn't youth league. I mean, it's not for orange slices. So, and I get it. You're trying to send a message. You're trying to, and maybe maybe with what he's got going on, he's not the kind of player. He needs to be. I mean, we don't see those practices. That's for games yeah, yeah. to decide. But uh, what? Just one other thing. Like I, we mentioned, Michael Porter Jr. And I hope nobody listens to this and thinks, "Oh, is this another MPJ?" Like Isaiah is like totally engaged with the team. Like you watch him. You, you know, he is a he's a dude with those guys. Like he has a lot of fun with the players on the bench. Um, and it's not like he's separated from the team. And like right. every game is gonna be like, is he even here? No, it's not that. He just isn't getting on the floor for the games. So just want to make that clear, not to not to make it seem like he's gone rogue and he's like disappeared from the from the. No, it would almost be like easier that. to understand if you saw him sulking on the. Yeah, uh, he's exactly. not, which exactly. is like, what? Why isn't he out there? Um, yeah. There's there's got to be a better, better explanation that can respect his 
privacy, but also in some ways defend him a little bit because unfortunately where so many jump to is bashing the guy and and it's not probably it's not probably fair so I hope Gates thinks about maybe a little better of a better of a response easy for us to say he's trying to to juggle multiple things but I do think he's got to be a little more there's got to be a little better option than what we've seen so far Dave, we'll, we'll wrap this up here quickly, but uh, what, what's shaking on, on the football front? Have, have the departures, you think, calmed down transfer-wise? At least we know that Missouri is seeking additions. They've added, added Theo Weiss, the, the, uh, the, the talented receiver out of Oklahoma, who's got an interesting interesting backstory, one of the top recruits at his time coming out of high school. So we know they're hunting, but you think things have kind of calmed until the bowl game? I think I think for now, you know, they're going to have some media opportunities this weekend, uh, and then they leave for the bowl game, I believe, Sunday or Monday, and uh, to go down to Tampa, not not Memphis. We should remind everybody they're going to Tampa, not Memphis. And um, yeah, I, I think the latest was Jack Stonehouse, their walk-on punter, into the portal. So uh, they'll be down a punter for the game, which is kind of interesting. Um, More than one thousand players in the portal as of yeah. uh, Monday. Yeah. And, and I don't, I mean, Missouri was hit hard early. At least that was the perception from the fans, but I don't, I still think they're sitting at what, just two starters, one, one Dominic Lovett and then Jack Stonehouse, I guess Hyron White, you could call him a starter because maybe he's going to be a starter next year, but he is under the portal, uh, but didn't play this year. So, uh, and then you add, like you mentioned, not to be, not to be confused with our friend, Brendan Weesey, but Theo Weiss, wide receiver from Oklahoma, um, I think is a guy that can come in and, and, maybe start next year. So yeah, I think things are kind of quiet, but I would, it would be naive to not expect some more defections after the bowl game, because remember the transfer portal is open for a, several more weeks in into January. And then there's another portal opening after spring football, uh, not necessarily Missouri spring football, but spring in the spring in general, going into the summer. So there's going to be some more changes. Missouri is, is uh, you know, we've seen offers extend or at least interest extended to other transfers so there's there's still a lot to take place oh and the national signing day is coming up for uh early signing period for high school prospects so a lot of them will be signed next week before the bowl game so this is crazy that everything kind of happens at once now on the college football calendar between transfer portal signing day bowl games coaching changes um it's it's pretty mad all right, we'll keep it locked at stltoday.com for the comings and goings of the Mizzou football roster, bowl coverage, and, of course, continued Mizzou basketball coverage. Also, need to plug this. Uh, Dave didn't mention it because he's modest, but he was he was in Vegas um, to cover Gary Pinkle's um, induction into the College Football Hall of Fame, and it was uh, it was pretty impressive. He also has a story, if you guys haven't seen it, you should have by now, but if not, go find it, of the kind of the tick-tock between the hiring process that led to Gary Pinkle. He sat down with Mike Alden and went through, I mean, the records that Mike, Mike Alden, this will surprise no one who knows Mike Alden. He keeps meticulous notes. <laughs> and he revisited those with Dave for a really awesome story that led to, you know, you know, one of the biggest hires in the history of Mizzou Athletics. You can still find that at stltoday.com. You can find it on Dave's Twitter and uh, folks will uh, really get a kick out of reading that if they haven't got the chance yet. Dave, keep up the great work. We'll talk to you next week and we'll get this podcast up and running again. We apologize for the delay, but there's still plenty to discuss and we'll get it back going at Eye on the Tigers podcast. For Dave, I'm Ben. We will talk to you next time.